We are in Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, where he dismissed, while he dismissed the crowd. He made his disciples get into the boat. Right? Other versions say he constrained them. The word here means compel, force, press. Right? It's time for everyone to leave. Go away. Get out. Right? Um, and if you've heard the song Closing Time, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. All right? So he sends away his disciples. He sends away the crowd. It's the same crowd right, that he had compassion for and fed right? not too long ago, the 5,000 men plus women and children. Um, and let's go back a second and remind ourselves of the context here. So Jesus and his disciples are tired. Right? The disciples just came back from going out two by two and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. They come back and he's going for some time of rest. They head to a desolate place to take a break, catch their breath. But they're followed by a large crowd. Um, and even though they're tired, Jesus begins to preach. And he feeds them right, with the little boy's lunch. Um, and that event is recorded in all four Gospels. It's an important one. Jesus has finished taking care of their needs, both physically and spiritually. And now it's time that he takes a little time for himself. Um, and that's important, right? It's brief, but it's good for us to know that we need to establish healthy boundaries in our own lives, right? Jesus did come to serve, not to be served, but no one can serve all of the time. You need to take a break every now and then. Um, and we don't take this to the extreme either. We don't become hermits and close ourselves off from the world, but we also don't say yes to every request, um, because there will be requests all the time, as Jesus saw, right, with the crowds of people that continuously followed him, right, there was always more to be done, and yet, right, Jesus needed to take that time away, right, with the Father. So while Jesus is God, he is still a man, and he gets tired and hungry, and needs to spend that time with the Father. So how does Jesus find rest? In verse 46... And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. Prayer is an essential part of the believer's life. We're commanded to pray without ceasing, to pray about everything. Right? We share our thoughts, hopes, dreams, and our anguish with God. We praise him and thank him for all that he does. We confess our sins and our weaknesses, and we ask for forgiveness and strength. We make our requests for God's favor in our lives, in the lives of our church, our leaders, and our neighbors. We talk with God the Father through the Son. Or, yep. <laughs> talk with God the Father in the name of the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. And God talks back to us through His Word in the Bible. This is what rejuvenated Jesus after endless waves of people coming to be healed and fed by him, both physically and spiritually. If Jesus needed this, how much more so should we take time to pray and commune with our Father? 
By the way, if you're looking for more time to do so, dedicated time, Wednesday nights, right here from 5.30 to 7.30, we have a prayer evening. So come on down uh, and pray with us. Verse 47. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. So, Jesus has been praying for hours, and now it's time for him to catch up to his disciples. Just remember, he still hasn't slept, right? So, went a whole day feeding everybody, preaching, spent all night praying. He's probably still physically tired, even though he's been spiritually rejuvenated. Um, And it's time for him to to head across to Gennesaret. But the boat's gone. And normally, right, what he would have to do is wait around until morning to find someone with the boat, take him across. But he's got business to attend to on the other side. He needs to get there a little sooner. So he decides to walk across the sea. All right. So... Um, he shows up, the disciples, totally calm with that, right? Let's take a look. So in verse 49, But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Why were they terrified, right? Jesus said that he was going to meet them in Gennesaret, and there he is, he showed up just like he said he would. Could it possibly be because he was walking on water? People don't do that? Probably. Or do they? Um, So back in 2006, uh, scientists out of Florida State University said that Jesus may have been walking on ice. Um, So before we, right, uh, we should understand that claim before we crush it. So studying some cores drilled in the Mediterranean uh, suggests that the temperature on average was about 10 degrees colder back then. And it's possible that fresh water coming in from the rivers um, froze over plumes of uh, salt springs in the Sea of Galilee and created some ice near the shore. Um, So very specific conditions. Basically the claim goes that Jesus took advantage of this very rare circumstance of ice and walked across the ice to save him, I don't know, like five minutes maybe, because he's still having to walk across the shore in that case. But anyways, um, the scientist says, floating ice springs partially or entirely surrounded by unfrozen water could be virtually impossible for distant observers to discern. Is that even a possibility with this account? Well, let's get a little more information from Matthew's account, shall we? So Matthew records this event as well and includes a little extra detail for us in Matthew 14. So in Matthew 14, I'm going to read verses 28 to 30. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. And came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink in water, 
um, he cried out, Lord, save me. Right? Jesus immediately reaches out and helps him into the boat. So, yeah, the boat. Peter was in a boat, stepped out of a boat. And, you know, boats float on water, not ice. Right? They've got oars. They're using that to row through the water, not break up the ice. Right? Um, so, there they are. And uh, Peter walks over to Jesus. So, again, the claim here is that Jesus is walking on ice near the shore. But if we look further into Mark's account, that doesn't even really make sense either. So we're going to take a look at a map and see exactly what was going on here. So if you take a look at the very top, you see Bethsaida, Julius. Um, so, town of Bethsaida. Uh, we learned from Luke that the feeding of the 5,000 happened near Bethsaida. And this is immediately following that. Um, so they're up there near Bethsaida, probably a little um, uh, to the east of that. Um, and uh, that is where right, we believe that he fed the 5,000. And then Jesus in Mark says to go to the other side to Bethsaida. But aren't they already in Bethsaida? So we take a little closer look. And the Greek here, pros Bethsaida, um, can also be translated as by or alongside. Basically, Jesus is telling them to go to the other side via Bethsaida. And Mark also says half a paragraph later that they end up in Gennesaret, where they intended to be the entire time. Right? So he's not saying literally go to Bethsaida, but hang near the coast. And since we know there's a great wind later and they're really struggling to go through painfully, hanging near the coast kind of makes sense. Right? It wasn't that long ago that there was a, a giant storm that Jesus had to calm Right, as they were trying to get away, get across um, the Sea of Galilee there as well. So it can get kind of choppy there. And Jesus is saying, hey, hug near the coast. And so if they're making kind of a U-shape in the boat, and Jesus is trying to catch up to them, what's he going to do? He's going to cut a straight line and go across. So a nice straight line across the sea, not near the coast. Right? So again, not anywhere near where ice could even possibly form. So if ice could form, he wasn't near it. All right, I know I'm kind of belaboring the point here, but um, it's good to know that when you're really conducting science, science and the scriptures don't disagree with each other. In fact, they complement each other. And science points us to Jesus. Right? The whole thing is about Jesus. That's kind of the point of the story here. Jesus is walking on water and people don't normally do that. Right? There must be something more to this guy, Jesus, because he's God. Right? Let's see if the disciples figured that out when it happened, shall we? So back in math, uh, Mark 6, right, we're picking up where we left off, verse 51. So, and he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So the disciples did not understand. Mark says they didn't understand about the loaves. What are the loaves doing here? Shouldn't it say they didn't understand about the ice? Sarcasm aside. Um, no, we see that uh, in all three accounts, Jesus walking on water is connected to the feeding of the 5,000. It happened right after that. All four Gospels mention the feeding of the 5,000, but only three talk about the walking on water. 
which to me sounds like way cooler than feeding a bunch of people, right? We're about to do that next week. We're just feed a whole bunch of people, right? So wouldn't walking on water be so much cooler? But the Bible has a different priority here. So we're going to compare the lessons we learned from these two events. So both of them show us that Christ is divine. Right? Only God can perform miracles. Only God can feed 5,000 men plus women and children with a little boy's lunch. And uh, only God can make people walk on water. But only the feeding of the 5,000 shows us how God provides for us. Only the feeding of the 5,000 shows God's compassion toward us. And only the feeding of the 5,000 points to our dependence on him as the bread of life. That when we come to him, we will be filled in ways that food can never offer. That through him we have eternal life. And we can begin to live that full life through him right now. So walking on water, it's cool and it's flashy. But that's about it. Um, which is probably why Mark didn't even mention that Peter walked on water. Knowing that Jesus walked on water reminds us of who he is, but it tells us nothing about what we can do, right? So don't go hopping out in any boats without Jesus' supervision, all right? Um, and just in case we missed it, Jesus again uses the divine name for himself in verse 50. So when he says, it is I, it's ego eimi, I am, again, he's reminding them, I'm God, not me, Jesus, right? He's pointing that out. Um, so Jesus is the omnipotent creator of the universe. He could crush us with a very look, but until we understand about the loaves, do we know not to be afraid when we see him walking on the water? So keep in mind that he doesn't continue walking on the water either. He gets in the boat. So when he gets to them, he gets in the boat, right? I'm going to remind you of Jesus' objective here with a little joke. It's usually about a chicken. Right? Why did Jesus cross to the Sea of Galilee? To get to the other side. That's why he's here. He's crossing to get to the other side. He knows what's waiting for him on the other side. And he's eager to get there. So what is waiting for him in Gennesaret? Let's take a look in verse 53. When they had crossed over... They came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages or cities or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment." Notice immediately here again, Jesus just can't catch a break. As soon as he shows up, there's more people coming to him. But that's exactly why he's there. Right? Remember, he came to serve, not to be served. Let's take a look at that verse, right, shall we? In uh, Mark 10, <clears throat> verse 45. So just a couple chapters ahead. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. If only we understood about the loaves, right? Just as Jesus gave bread to the 5,000, and it was more than enough to satisfy them, 
Jesus gave his life for us, and it's more than enough to forgive us of our sins. Just as the bread nourished the 5,000, right, Jesus is more than enough to satisfy our souls. And just as the bread sustained the 5,000 on their journey home, Jesus gives us an eternal life in an eternal home with him forever after the last day. So coming back to the people in Gennesaret, right? these people are desperate for Jesus. We see this right throughout. They didn't just go get their sick people. They ran to get their sick people. They didn't wait for him to come to them. They went wherever they heard he was. And they didn't just ask. They implored him to just touch the fringe of his robe. These people are desperately in need of Jesus. Which, that desperation can be a little hard for me to understand because I live a relatively comfortable life. In very few moments that I have desperate needs. Um, And if I think about it, you know, I can go to any corner store and find plenty of groceries that I need to eat. Um, If the particular variety or brand of chip that I want isn't there, I can get the exact same thing but with a different label. Um, (laughs) Right? Uh, I can go to a doctor of any kind. They've got doctors for, you know, my pinky hurts. They've got doctors for my back hurts. They've got doctors for my head hurts. Right? Doctors that specialize in literally everything, and we can go whenever we need to, right, to get that taken care of. Um, I've got central AC and heat, which is really nice. Not necessary right now, because it's really nice outside, but for most of the year, right, we get to live relatively comfortable lives. And so if some miracle man shows up in town, we might want to go see what's going on, but we don't have that same desperate need. But it's that need, that desperate need, when it comes to Jesus, that we exactly should have. We need Jesus, desperately, desperately need Jesus. And it's when we realize the state that we're in, our condition without him, that we realize our desperate need for him. If we look in Revelation 3, I'm going to start in verse 17 here. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen." And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Without Christ, we are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So when we recognize that natural state, that we see that desperate need for Jesus. Today we see many who blindly call their sin holy. Um, But we must earnestly pray that the Holy Spirit opens their eyes and keeps our eyes open to our desperate daily need for Jesus. Just as we need that daily bread, and we understand about the loaves, we understand our daily desperate need for him. Continuing, let's look back again at verse 56 and finish it off. So, 
And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. This points us back to Malachi. Right? Malachi is telling us what they're thinking of when they're trying to reach that fringe of his garment. Malachi 4.2, But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. The wings here can also mean edge or fringe. Right? That's people recognizing Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one who's come to save them. Right? And it brings the healing literally in the fringes of his garments. That's all you need to touch. You've got that faith in right, what he can do. He's going to heal you. Malachi is pointing us to Christ. Indeed, the whole Old Testament points us to Christ. Right? To paraphrase Colossians 2.17, right? the Old Testament is the shadow of what is to come, and Jesus is the one casting the shadow. Right? He's what it's all about, what it's always been about. And we daily depend on him. We do our part to bring others along for the ride. To summarize, make sure you take breaks to pray. Praise Jesus because he is God and he is worthy. And depend on Jesus to save, sustain, and sanctify us. Let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you for all that you do for us. That your name be great, that you be praised everywhere. We depend on you for our daily bread. We come to you because we are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And you make us righteous. You bless us. You open our eyes to see and you clothe us. Lord, as we collect the offering, let it be uh, with joyful hearts that we give to you thankfully because you have so blessed us. Let's remember as we go out today uh, to share the good news of Jesus, to share his light in this world that is so dark and in so desperate need of him and you. In Jesus' name, amen.